The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer for this podcast. Before I get to the details of today's episode, please be sure and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And give us a thumbs up or a five-star review. Um, also subscribe to our YouTube channel if you'd like to watch videos because we are videoing all of our interviews. But when you give us a good review or when you subscribe to us, it you know obviously ups us in Google's rankings and then people can find us. And that's the whole point of this podcast is to offer the message of hope and help to those who are affected themselves or whose loved ones are affected by the addiction pandemic. Today's episode is episode number 259, and today we will be talking to a woman. Her name is Dr. Tracy Strawberry. Dr. Tracy Strawberry is an international speaker, published author, CEO, and wife of baseball legend Daryl Strawberry. Tracy holds a doctorate degree in theology with a focused study in cultural restoration and leadership. She holds her master's degree in business administration and management with a bachelor's in ministry leadership. After many years of battling addiction, alcoholism, and defeated living, Tracy surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. She understands the process needed to be free from personal addictions and codependency with loved ones suffering with addictions and other life-controlling issues. Without further ado, let's talk to Dr. Tracy Strawberry. Dr. Tracy Strawberry, thank you so much for being with us today and being willing to tell your story. Thank you, Joni. Thanks for having me. You are more than welcome because, you know, it Obviously, we have a lot of people who come on the podcast and tell their their personal story of addiction and recovery, but there are some people that don't want to talk about it, and I get it. It's not a pretty part of your life, you know? Mm-hmm. However, when someone such as yourself is willing to share their story, it has a huge impact on people. I believe that with every bit of my soul, that, that, that it has a huge impact and that you change lives when you do it. So thank you. Absolutely. It's my honor and privilege. And it's by our stories. I really believe that's how people find courage. They find hope. We need courage. We need hope. I did. Yep. Um, I felt worthless. I felt like I was nothing. And it was the stories of people being courageous and sharing the worst part of their life. But the worst part of the life is not the end of the story. So it's exciting to hear the best part of life that gives you courage. So thank you all for what you do as well um, in helping people and families getting through this. Thank you. You, We are so passionate about this subject. It's going to take way more than a village to solve this whole addiction pandemic. And so for everybody such as yourself that's doing something, you know, we applaud you. But let's take you back to the beginning. Where did you grow yes. up? Um, I'm, I'm, the people listening probably know about your famous husband. You can tell us how you met him, but take us back to the beginning. Sure. Tell us about you. Absolutely. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, um, in a loving family. And it was very traditional, you know, dinners every night at the table. Uh, my mom and dad grew up Catholic, and that's how I was raised. So it was church every Sunday. Um, my father would tuck us in and I say us, I have three sisters. So there were four girls in the family, wow. um, very stable family, very happy family. 
And we would say our prayers at night. Dad would tuck us in. We always felt loved. We always felt encouraged. Um, that was the environment I grew up in, close to my sisters, a close family, um, a few family vacations. We didn't have a lot of money, but we never knew that. <laughs> and um, that was that was my introduction, if you will, in into life. And I had a radical experience at the age of eight that would change everything in my life and in my world. When I was eight years old, we, our neighborhood that we lived in, we were very close. It was one of those where the yards back to one another. And during those times you left in the morning and mom told you come back at dinner. So there was no, you know, we didn't have the awareness that we had today. And long story short, I was molested by a neighbor, a grown man, um, and would later find out that, um, another member of my family was too. And all the kids in the neighborhood were being molested by this pedophile. And this went on for quite some time and it would change my life forever. Um, My parents were raising me in a loving home, a loving environment. And then this just derails everything that I know. It's a violation of its worst kind, but at eight years old, what do you know? You don't know how to deal with it. You don't know how to process it. And it was one of those things, um, a threatening thing. If you tell, we'll kill your family. You know, I'll burn the house down. These types of things. You believe those things as a child. Yeah, yeah. And later on as an adult, I really didn't think that that would have such an imprint on my heart that it would affect me. But it did. It did in years to come. Yep. Yep. I'm so sorry that happened to you. That's just worst of the worst, you know. Mm I mean, we've heard it before on the podcast, but it's just, uh, it's hard to hear. Mm-hmm. So when did you, when were you introduced to drugs and alcohol? When did that happen? Well, I always had, even though I was raised in a loving environment, I always had an emptiness inside of me. I always had a personality that just wanted to go out and experience the world. And, and I always felt like I was so different from all of my sisters. And I was, and I say that because many people in my 20 years of sobriety now, 21 years, excuse me, January of sobriety is this is a common thread that I've seen in people. Um, And it's definitely, it definitely resided in me. I was uncomfortable in my own skin. I was never satisfied. I was never happy, even though I had a strong upbringing and I had security and safety. And when I would um, be around kids my age. I didn't like being around kids my age. I want to be around the older kids and the older kids were drinking and the mm-hmm. older kids were doing their thing. So I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be older. So at the age of 12 was when I had my first drink and drank in excess, um, just trying to keep up with them and fit in. And that was, that was an introduction, if you will, to alcohol at the time that would definitely mm-hmm. escalate years later. Okay. You know, you, you say, you know, you felt something was missing, you know, when you go through something like you went through at eight years old, I mean, that kind of trauma spiritually and mentally can just, I mean, it's devastating, you know, cause I can only imagine that, you know, the thought process can be why me and there must be something wrong with me and maybe I'm bad, which is why this happened. But Mm -hmm. wow, I can, uh, I can just, I can only imagine what, Mm -hmm. you know, that then leads to. Okay. So you were in, you were in, you were starting to drink with your older friends and did it progress Mm -hmm. from there? Did you do drugs as well? 
Tracy? Not yet. I okay. started doing drugs when I was in high school, oh, okay. but the drinking escalated because I would hang around with the same friends and I felt entitled. It just made me feel older and it made me feel better. Yeah. I was always searching for acceptance, even though I was accepted at home, my home life, how I was raised had, had nothing to do with what was going on on the inside, on the inside of me. Right. So staying with them and progressing in the drinking, that was just a regular thing. We would run to the dead end of the street, you know, and we would have our secret times during the day or secret times in the evening. And I just, I wanted to be grown. I wanted to be older. I wanted to be in the in crowd. And I found myself in a lot of trouble trying to just chase after what I wanted or what I thought was going to fill this emptiness inside of me and cure this anxiety inside of me and this confusion. I was confused. I just, I wanted to explore the world. I wanted to own the world, but had no idea who I was in this world and what kind of plan. I was naive. I was young and I was just running from feeling to feeling emotion to emotion until eventually that led me into some pretty bad places. You know, I get it. I, I really do. I, I do understand. I it's not that I've been there myself, but I do understand how it, how you can get get there because, you know, we've said over and over again on the podcast that the drugs or alcohol they're not the problem. They're the solution to an underlying problem. And mm -hmm. if you don't have the tools, if you don't have the faith that you now have, yes, what what do you do? You know, yes. and, and there is a point that alcohol and drugs will numb it and then yes. you don't have to feel it anymore. And so if the yes. feelings are bad, okay, I, I get it. I understand that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I, you, you can only do what you can do. And if you That's don't, right. if you don't have that core faith that you now have, I don't, I don't, what are you supposed to do? You yes. Know? Well, and I think you said a key thing. Um, we just lie to ourselves and tell us that that's the solution, because what it does is instead of having to face what you're up against and face what's going on in the inside of you, because addiction and alcoholism or whatever life controlling issue you're struggling with, as you said, Joni, it's, that's not the problem. Mm -hmm. So it's the expression of our inward brokenness. It's an expression. It's how our inward brokenness is showing itself. It's how our, our lack of self-value and self-worth and our confusion and our anger and all these dysfunctional things show itself. And it's how it rears its ugly head. Yep. And it gets so strong on the inside of you to, to where you can't take it anymore. So yep. you take that drink, you take that hit, Yep. you know, yep. you shoot it up or however, what, how, whatever anybody's doing and listening to this thing, then it just seems like it just puts a silence to it. You can check out of it for a while. Yep. It's the only way that I felt I could find relief from whatever it was I was going through because I had no idea how to really get into the solution because yep. acting out is never the solution, but it's what you do when you yep. don't believe there's anything else. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So as much as you wish to tell us about some of those dark places you went to. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And obviously we do this for not to glamorize the darkness, but to help somebody who has been right. there. Yep. And my life defining moment was when I lost custody of my three sons from active addiction and alcoholism. 
it was one of those situations and scenarios that I, I can say now, after looking at myself and, and going through the process of change and experiencing the power of God, I had to look at myself and I just refused help. Every time help was given to me as an option, mm-hmm. I don't need it. I'm not that bad. I wasn't willing to receive the help that was constantly placed before me. And I was stubborn and I was rebellious and I wasn't ready and I wasn't willing to say yes to the solution. So I just kept going in my own way and my own defeat. And it was my biggest fear because I knew as I was practicing, um, just active in my addiction for so long, I knew that that was in the back of my mind and deep down inside my heart. I knew that was a consequence that I could face Mm. because honestly, Joni, I got to a place where I was so hopeless. I didn't care about death. Mm. And I know that may sound strange to some people. I don't think so on this podcast. Nope. Nope. Um, I just didn't care enough about myself. And I started to believe that that would be a solution. It would be my way out. So I didn't have enough in me myself personally. I didn't love myself enough to say yes to help and hope. Right. How, Tracy, take us back just a little bit. How did you get to the point where you lost custody of the kids? How what led up to that? Absolutely. Well, let's go back to where we talked about 12 years old, starting to drink. Yes, ma'am. I not only started to drink, but I started to experiment with boys. I started trying to live an adult life at a very young age and found myself being used, if you will, several times over and over again. I'm trying to act like an adult in a young person's body, heart, mind, body, spirit, and soul, um, trying to figure out life. And that would escalate. And also, I think back inside of my mind, I know now, since I was molested at eight, and that was already taken away from me, who cares? You know, why not? Let's move along. But with the idea of trying to turn a bad situation into love, and I wasn't looking to be promiscuous. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to feel secure. I wanted to feel safe. I didn't wake up one day and say, let me just sleep around with all these boys or, you know, let me just be drunk all the time and then think about using drugs. Um, Honestly, peer pressure was, was my biggest drive. I'm, I'm like a chameleon to this day. I will, I will become whoever I hang around with. And that's very important to whoever's listening today. You will become that power of influence. And that's what happened to me. I started hanging around people who were doing the wrong things because they didn't have any self-worth or value. And there's no standard when you're living in the darkness. There's no standard that you have to live up to. There is no judgment. You're amidst and amongst those who are living in the same defeat that you are. So there's no judgment there. You can just hang out in that cesspool, if you will, of dysfunction and defeat and darkness and find this comfortability in the most horrific, tormenting situation. It's very conflicting. Interesting. But you you then got married at some point, right? I mean, like you. Yes, I did. (laughs) Yes, I did. When I was 19 years old living in St. Louis, I met this, I met this guy who was Puerto Rican and in St. Louis, you know, you just didn't have this experience of culture and ethnicity. I didn't, I wasn't exposed to it. You know, I lived kind of in the farmland out there Uh and oh my gosh, Joni, he was just everything. He looked different from everybody else. (laughs) I thought love was going to fix it. You know, (laughs) 
And I had my mind set on my parents. My parents had a very strong marriage. So I thought, ah, I'll get married and that'll fix everything. Uh, And then I'll just have a family and I'll have kids and my life will get on the right track. And that's what I was thinking. So we dated for about a year and I ended up getting married and we married young. And that turned out to be another disaster because I wasn't capable of love or loving. And I Mm. had these hurts that were starting to build up in my heart. And I always like to say an unhealed heart is a very dangerous heart. Yes. Um, It's not capable of loving. And that's where I was. Okay. So how long did that marriage last? It only lasted a year and a half. Oh, okay. But during that time, he, he is the father of my children. So I had, I got pregnant right away, right after, right after we got married and I had my first son. And then two months later, I got pregnant again with twins. So I had three babies in one year. And and you're 21. Yes. 2021. I'm young, trying to fix it through every wrong avenue, just creating more and more consequence. And doing drugs at the time? I did in high school. Um, When I was in high school, I tried cocaine, marijuana, and everything for the first time. And the first time I tried cocaine, that was my love. Mm. Um, It just really took off inside of me. I loved the way it made me feel. Um, I was uninhibited. I was confident, had endless energy, that type of thing. And you'll always hear people who suffer with addiction talk about chasing that first high. Uh, I kept chasing it and chasing it until it was no longer enough. And it led to crack cocaine and um, things of that nature. So when I met my first husband, that was going to be my, that was going to be the way I was going to swear off of crack cocaine and cocaine. And this love was going to be enough. Right, Joni? And it was going to take care of it. And then I was going to get pregnant. And that pregnancy was going to fix the marriage problems. And that was going to be the fix to the love that I didn't have and, and couldn't create. And it's just one consequence after another. Yep. So uh, now are we up to where you almost lost custody of the kids? Well, in that time, um, after I gave birth to my children, my first husband and I were divorced. Okay. And I would end up moving to Florida. I made what they call in recovery a geographical change. Well, yep. let me move away and that'll fix it. My life will be better. So let's try that. <laughs> and I didn't know at the time that that is what I was doing, but I thought I just need a fresh start. I need to be out of here. I had a friend that was living in Florida. I went down to move with her. And now I'm away from my family. I have my children, um, but now my whole life can be hidden. And in Florida, there's Miami, there's the clubs, there's this whole new appetite that comes along with a whole new freshness of what my new party life was going to look like. And I fell in love with the excitement. I fell in love with the beach and the palm trees and the clubs and the excitement and dove into that part. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727 314 
7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. You know, it's interesting, Tracy, because I think in some cases there is a validity to change of environment, but mm-hmm. not if you're going to not change your habits. If you're just going to go correct. to a different place to keep the same habits, it's it's not going to it's not going to work. That's okay. exactly right. And I was running away. I was right. not running into solution. I was running away from solution, which only leads to greater consequences which leads me into those years when I lived in Florida and I still had custody of my kids. My, my addiction was out of control. My alcoholism, my addiction was out of control, escalated to a point where it just owned me, consumed every part of me. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what, what was your point of no return? What, what was it the fact that you were about to lose custody? Is that what kind of got you to get clean and sober? Honestly, my biggest fear was that I was going to die and that was going to be the last memory my children would have of me and that they would not, they would no longer have their mom. Yep. So again, they wouldn't know you, the beautiful person that you are. They would just know the addict. Yes. And people who suffer with addiction, we love deeply. And love is not the problem. We love deeply. There's a very big difference between the desire to love and being able to love. You need to have the character with inside of you to be able to carry out love the way it's supposed to happen and to be. And I didn't have that character inside of me because I wouldn't accept help. I wouldn't face my past and I would not admit that I was living this life that was out of control. I just wouldn't admit, I wouldn't submit, I wouldn't commit to the process of change and the solution. Well, and you have to love yourself. If you don't love yourself, you're not really capable of loving other people. I believe that thoroughly, Yes, you know? And I think it's very hard for someone who's in the midst of addiction to go, Mm -hmm. oh, I love myself. That's correct. You don't. There's nothing about you that you love. I know for myself, I despise myself. How it's a torment that people who are caught in this cycle of addiction, you can only who who can only understand the torment that comes along with that. The the empty promises you make to yourself every day, and then my addiction was so bad. Okay, well, every hour. I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not all the empty promises that you couldn't possibly keep if you wanted to desire is not enough. It's just not enough and you have to change. And I did not love myself and I was looking to everyone else and everything else to fix that. 
instead of listening to the people that God kept bringing into my life that was going to lead me into that solution. I just kept turning away from them and I would cuss you out just as soon as I would tell you, thank you. <laughs> I was pretty tough, Joey. Yep. I was pretty tough to deal with, a force to be reckoned with. Wow. And I just kept running. So what, what changed? When did you decide to change? Mm -hmm. I had a moment before I lost custody of my, my children, which is the moment I was just telling you about. I, I knew that if I kept going the way I was going, that I was going to die. I knew right. it because right. it was just a gift every time that I was able to make it home. And I would be missing for weeks at a time. I would binge really hard and then come back in and leave my kids with babysitters and telling them I was going out of town for work and just would lie about everything until I just couldn't, the trips were getting longer and longer. I couldn't get back home. I just knew I was going to die out there because I was using so hard and I was just out of control and I was using everything. And I just came to a point into a place where I was talking to a girlfriend on the phone who was in recovery and I was her, her biggest supporter because mm -hmm. it wasn't my problem. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And she had a very candid conversation with me and said, Tracy, you are an alcoholic and a drug addict and you need to get help. And she gave me the name of a woman and a phone number and said, I want you to call this lady. There's a meeting that's happening tonight and I want you to call her. She'll meet you there because she was out of town and couldn't meet me. So again, I had solution that was presented to me. I had a choice right then and there. Was I going to take the help? Or was I still going to continue on in this path of destruction? So I ended up calling the lady and I ended up going to the meeting. And that would be my first step of accepting hope and help that would yep. be presented to me. Um, and of course, there are many other steps that have to go along with that. But it was by, I came to the end of myself. I surrendered and I said, Tracy, enough. I had to step out of myself and finally take a step to where I said, I can't do this my way. Yep. I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. None of us can. And that's one of the greatest lies the enemy tells you. Oh, you got this. You can do it on your own. You cannot. Yeah. You absolutely can. Yeah. My regret is that I waited so long to say yes to help. <laughs> my regret is that I waited so long to say yes to hope. My regret is that I could have been living this amazing life 10 years earlier, but I didn't. And I can't change the past. But that day, I was able to change my present and the future of my children even though I would lose them in recovery a year oh, later no. because I wouldn't win the case because oh. there were too many years of baggage um, piled up against me oh. that, that said I was an unfit mother. And, you know, Joni, to be honest, this is something I had to work through in my recovery and I had to work through, you know, with, with Jesus. He's, he's my Lord and Savior. Um, through his power and his forgiveness was I had to say those words. I was a bad mom. Yeah. I love them, but I didn't care for them the way that I should have. And I made excuses. I didn't abuse them. I didn't hurt them. I didn't do things in front of them. So I thought, because I don't do these things, I'm a great mom. I'm shielding them. I'm protecting them. And yet I'm out using drugs and I'm not there for them. Yeah. How old were they at the time? They were eight. My oldest was eight and my twins were seven. Yeah. And, you know, mm -hmm. they know they're, they do. you know, they're not stupid. You're absolutely right. They're not. Yeah, they're not. So that's a tough thing to go through in recovery, but you didn't, mm -hmm. you didn't relapse. 
I did not. And this is where I really want someone to hear hope and help because it doesn't matter how many years you are in recovery, your recovery is going to be tested and you are going to come to a crossroads at somewhere multiple times in life Yep, where life shows up and it just delivers a blow or it's a life change or a circumstance that you either can't change, you can't take it back. You just have to walk through it. And I had a choice like anyone else. Of course, were the thoughts in my mind, you can just go back out. Now you really have no reason to get this together and to keep this in to go. Of course, I had those lies in my mind, but I did what I was taught, Joni, and the tools work and they work if you do work them. I picked up the phone. I called people who loved me mm-hmm. and I was surround myself with women who believed in me and women who knew how to pray. I didn't. I mean, I was just new coming to my faith in Christ, right. but I made the right choices that ended up in a right solution. And the reason why I say that is because 10 years later, I was reconciled to my children. But had I gone out that time and made the wrong decision and chose relapse over restoration and freedom and healing, it was part of my healing process. I wouldn't have my relationship with my children today. I wouldn't have the freedom that I have today. And that was one of many choices and many life circumstances that have shown up that I've had to overcome. Yeah. And a test. It was a test of your sobriety at the time, you know, and you passed with flying colors and now you have a great (laughs) relationship with your kids, which is amazing and awesome. And just lest we forget to mention it, 21 years sober, which is amazing. I know that that's not an easy thing. I know it Mm -hmm. because I've talked to person after person after person. And Mm -hmm. it's not like it, it, maybe some days are easier than others, but every single Mm -hmm. day you make the decision to stay sober and clean and do what you're doing. And that's huge, Tracy. Yes. And I praise God for that. Yep. And I always tell people the same, the same system in the same process that got me 21 days clean and sober is the same thing that got me 21 years. We have to keep it simple. I safeguard my life. I still pick up the phone. The things that I did at 21 days I'm doing today. Um, I'm close to my sisters in Christ. I do not go to the bars. I don't place myself in temptation. I don't have friends that go out and and do things and are living a life that I don't live anymore today. My family clearly understands the struggle that I have with addiction, even though some of them drink, they're very mindful. And there are times when they are, whether it's Christmas or a birthday or a holiday where they want to, they want to drink and do what they do. I know I have to leave. So I don't have an expectation that everybody has to bow down to me Mm -hmm. and change their entire life. I just know that my life has to stay changed. So you must safeguard your recovery. And honestly, it's so much easier. I don't wake up every day thinking about a drink or a drug. I just don't. But I also am not naive enough to think that it can't happen to me because I have 21 years. Yep. Now, your your husband, uh, your current husband, does does he... Does he have his own drug history? Like, are you guys kind of sober together? And so there's an understanding there of how you're going to live your lives. 
Because yes, I think that's it, important. I mean, if you had a husband who wanted to drink wine every day, I mean, that mm-hmm. could create a problem, but he doesn't, right? That's correct. And okay. my husband is the former Major League Baseball player, Daryl Strawberry. And many people are familiar with his story because he had to go through his recovery in the public eye due to his fame and things of that nature. And yes, he is in recovery. He has 15 years clean and sober. And he and I live the same lifestyle. We live the same lifestyle in Christ. We are um, both strong in our faith in Christ. We both have the same safeguards and boundaries that we've agreed upon. Now, I know some people who are married to people who don't suffer with addiction. It works for them. All I can talk about is my story. It would not work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like to be in the presence of the devil that destroyed me. I just can't do it. Um, the temptation is too great. And even at 21 years of age, uh, 21 years of age, oh, <laughs> don't I wish? Don't we both wish? <laughs> right? Sober. Um, I, I never make that assumption that, oh, I've got this. Um, I'm beyond this. Yeah. So we safeguard our lives in a lot of ways. Interesting. You do. I can see that. Tracy, were you guys together when he got clean and sober or did you guys get together after that? Just we got to, Yes, that's a great question. And I met Daryl at a recovery convention. Ah. And yes, and okay. Daryl was still struggling in the midst of his addiction. Okay. I was one year clean and sober. I had not yet lost custody of my boys. I was in the middle of the battle, if you okay. will. Yeah. The custody case and, and things going on. And that's when I met Daryl. Oh. And we were both at, at rock bottom and just very very painful places in our lives. And what brought Daryl and I together um, was just a simple hello in crossing. It was just a simple hello with mutual friends. And I didn't care that he was Daryl Strawberry because I was never a a sports fan. I knew there was a reason why people like us were there. And we just talked the entire evening, never about baseball because I didn't care about his baseball career. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just talked and had such a connection and an understanding. We were talking about our pain and how we were going to overcome that. But literally, Daryl's friends had picked him up, brought him to that convention from behind a dumpster where he was using. So wow. he was just real fresh. He was ready. Long. Yeah. He was ready. Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you guys kind of did go through recovery together. We sure did. And then we went through five years of him going back and forth um, in and out of recovery, in and out of recovery. And here's something, Joni, I think we should address and we need to hear was um, somebody needs to hear. I really feel strongly about this. I felt like I could save Daryl. I felt like I could rescue him. I had enough faith for us both. I could see the greatness inside of him and I fell in love with the potential, but potential is very dangerous because it's not reality. I can fix him. I can change him. I can love him back to life. Yeah. And that's codependency and yep. that's a lie yep. and that's just not true. He is the only one who can fix himself. Yes. That he that it has to be him. It but has he's, to be him. But he's done that too. And you guys as a team go out and help others into recovery. Talk about what you do. Talk about your ministry and what you guys do. Absolutely. My honor. I mean, we want to win as many as we can because we know the suffering personally. I know it as an individual. I know it from a wife's perspective, 
for anyone who's listening that's suffering and going through it with a husband. I know it from a mom's perspective. Um, I've had a child, a grown child that's been in active addiction and missing and gone. So we know it from all of those perspectives and we don't want people to suffer. And while you're suffering, we want people to know that you don't have to do this alone. There's an entire community out here that will wrap their arms around you. You can't do it alone. And we also know the greatness of what it's like to live a life of freedom. You can overcome this thing and not Mm -hmm. just survive, but thrive. And it's just, you want to get people and just bring them over and say, it doesn't have to be like this. Come on, forget the guilt and shame. You're worth it. Let's go. Yep. Yep. I think people need to hear that and they need to hear it over and over again. And I know that you and Daryl go out and you repeat that message over and over again. If somebody listening wants to contact you or Daryl or, or, you know, get this help, how do they do that? You can go to our website. It's tracystrawberry.com. Or if you remember darylstrawberry.com, it will bring you to the same place. And on our websites, um, I have written curriculum and different resources, not only for the individual suffering with addiction, but also the family members. We do a lot of work with the families. So go to our website, sign up for the newsletter. I have a new book coming out at the end of the year called The Courage to Heal, Overcoming the Habits of Your Past and Your Pain. Also, we're going to be starting a podcast to help families through and individuals through, if you will, that's based on interactive things that people, the questions that people ask us all the time. How do you get free? So go to the website. We travel all around the country sharing a message of hope and help, but there's also materials on there that, that can serve as a a help source for people right now. I love that. And I'm just going to spell it out because it's Tracy without an E, -E T-R-A-C-Y, strawberry, like those lovely fruit. And Daryl is D-A-R-R-E-L-L, strawberry. So either one.com. Sorry, D-A-R-R-Y-L. Where did I read that? Boy, I got that one wrong. Okay, Okay, D-A-R-R-Y-L, strawberry.com. And either website is going to bring you to Daryl and Tracy, and Mm -hmm. they are there to help. And they've put material on their website to help you. So you don't even have to talk to anybody if you don't want to. You can just go Mm -hmm. check it out. Tracy, thank you so much for being willing to talk to us today. Thank you for sharing your story. It is Mm so inspirational and you are so lovely and so you and daryl both thank you so much for everything that you do to help others it's amazing oh Joni, and to you as well it's like coming alongside a friend and like you said it's going to take more than a village it's going to take all of us so it's my honor and privilege i pray that somebody just is inspired to find that hope and help that they need absolutely i know they are Thank you so much for listening today. Great message of hope and help. And there are people like Tracy and Daryl who are out there who are just willing to help you and willing to listen to you. And once again, if you go to Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, strawberry.com or Daryl, D-A-R-R-Y-L, strawberry.com. A lot of people know Daryl Strawberry, especially if you're a baseball fan. That website has resources for you, whether you are in active addiction or whether you know someone who is. There's resources there that can help you. You are not alone. That's the whole point of this podcast. There are so many people out there who just want to help. So reach out. That's the hardest thing. 
The hardest thing to do is to reach out. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week with another interview. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.